0: Anthony Spilotro was one of the most notorious and vicious psychotic gangsters of the 20th century. It was his job to protect the profits of the mob's Vegas operations. He also would make money on the side with his hole-in-the-wall gang. Eventually, Spilotro's violent ways garnered too much attention, and the mob had him killed. But this wasn't your ordinary death. The murder of Anthony Spilotro has gone down in history as one of the most notorious mob hits. Welcome to the Victims Podcast. I looked troubled at times, other times I looked moody, uh, other times perfectly serene, not very sane, but again people weren't even aware of what was happening. So, their picture window open, the curtain's open. 11 o'clock at night, the lights are on. All they have to do is walk by, look out, and I've had it. <laughs> they are a product of the times and these like are bloodthirsty times. Are you so afraid, are you so afraid? afraid. afraid. 30 years ago. just my own little world where I had control. Even psychopaths have emotions if you dig deep enough. But then again, maybe they don't, uh, <laughs> you know, we could say it was something that simple. I don't think it was just my own little world. Where I had Born fourth of six children, Anthony Spilotro grew up in Chicago in the 1950s where his family was dirt poor. His parents ran an Italian restaurant where customers were frequently famous mobsters. Sam Giacana, Jackie Cerrone, and Gus Alex all ate at Patsy's restaurant. But Anthony's father died while he was young. He left behind six kids and a grieving wife. Along with four of his brothers, Anthony turned to organized crime. He needed to make money to pay the bills and for his family. Besides, he already had all the connections. After a string of petty crimes, including shoplifting, purse snatching, Spilotro graduated to more complicated and violent crimes. He was arrested in 1955 for trying to steal a watch from a store. Spilotro went on to get many nicknames, including Tough Tony, for his hard-hitting approach, and later the FBI would call him the Ant. A special agent who was in charge... Of investigating Spilotro, referred to him as the Little Piss Ant, and that name stuck. But when the press came to report this case, they couldn't use the term Piss Ant, so they just chose the Ant. Now, by 1963, Spilotro, who was 25, became a made man. His skills as an enforcer and his violent streak made him valuable to the mafia. A year later, Spilotro was paired up with Frankie Lefty Rosenthal, who was a sports gambler. The two had known each other since childhood, and they made a great team. Lefty ran the sports book, and Spilotro was the muscle. Because Lefty was Jewish, he was not allowed to become a made man in the mafia, but his skills running the sports books made him a valuable asset. Lefty was so good, the bosses decided to send him to Vegas to oversee their casino. Again, Spilotro was dispatched to make sure everything ran smoothly. As well as watching over Lefty, Spilotro became involved in extracurricular activities. He ran a loan sharking business, he bought and sold restaurants, and he stole anything he wanted. Anyone who stood in his way or threatened his business was attacked. By 1972, Spilotro found himself in legal trouble. He was indicted for the murder of Leo Foreman, who was a real estate agent and rival loan shark. Spilotro lewed Foreman to his house under the pretense of playing cards. When Foreman arrived, Spilotro's men grabbed a hold of him. Foreman was tortured and stabbed repeatedly with an ice pick. Part of his flesh was cut off. Eventually, he was shot and killed, and his body was disposed of. In 1975, Spilotro murdered Tamara Rand. Rand was a millionaire real estate developer, and she had began suing the mafia frontman in Vegas. Rand wanted the money to repay a $2 million loan she had made, but instead, Spilotro crept into Rand's house and shot her while she slept. With a string of bodies to his name and an increasingly violent method, Spilotro was attracting more and more attention. And this wasn't good for Lefty. This wasn't good for the mafia, but Spilotro was somehow becoming more and more powerful. No one wanted to touch him, and he began to feel like he could get away with anything. In 1976, Spilotro set up a burglary gang. There were roughly eight members, including Spilotro's brother, Michael, where they specialized in drilling through the exterior of building walls and ceilings. They would cut holes in the wall, climb through, and steal whatever was inside. Hence the name Hole-in-the-Wall Gang, which was also named after Butch Cassidy's Wild Bunch. They robbed a string of targets which further infuriated Spilotro's bosses. Had stopped kicking up the full amount he owed them, damaging their profits, and Spilotro was running out of friends. Even his relationship with Lefty fell apart. As well as all the unwanted attention the hole in the wall was attracting, Spilotro was having an affair with Lefty's wife. In 1981, several of the gang members were arrested. Police had all the Spilotro properties under surveillance. Now, after the FBI flipped one gang member, Frank Culotta tried to prosecute Spilotro, but the case fell apart. Spilotro was acquitted, but the damage was already done. Okay, so what we have already learned just this far into the episode is all the things we've. L- we've come to know about mafia and mob activity, it seems as if ego is the downfall to most of them. I mean, even to go to the point of fictional mafia and mob stuff, like The Sopranos or The Godfather, whoever gets the biggest ego within the family ends up dead. But this is real, right? But I'm saying, I make the reference to the films because it's it, what I'm saying is that's how obvious this is. That's how obvious it is that this is not the first time it's happened where one of the people that are in this family at a young age and they eventually, beca- it's power Simply power. And they get a lot of that. They get a lot of power from just having a name that they could say, whether it's their own or the family's name, and they get in, they get access, they get whatever they want because of it. And when that's realized, you know for sure one out of the 50 will take advantage of that. And I would say most of them are probably taking advantage of it, but one of them is taking more advantage to the point where it's being noticed by everyone else. Not just the head of the family, but the other members of the family that are, that are in similar positions. They're like, this dude, I mean, think about the police, right? It takes one. I mean, even just regular regular people go back to, you know, caveman times, Right? It's the one guy that decided to stay outside of the cave a little longer than he should have. And now, (laughs) the leopard knows where we're at, right? The saber-toothed tiger knows where we're at. The woolly mammoth is coming because Gary, right, he had to be out there next to the fire a little longer because he's got cold feet. Sorry, Gary. You ruined it for everyone. Now we can't stay in the cave no more. And I'm speaking to Gary as if he's even still alive. Truth is, the saber-toothed tiger definitely ate Gary. (laughs) But yeah, this is a... Like I said, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is so common. They even put it in the films, the TV shows, anything that has to do with this. There's always one person that's in the family that takes, takes things too far. Or in a sense, goes against the family's wishes. Whether that's to... Take advantage of what they already give you or trying to get away from it and telling on them, right? That's the general M.O. And it's no different here. But at some point, it, there's what, what, what could keep a lot of these guys from just being randomly killed in public is one person being like, Hey, man, chill the fuck out, you know, <laughs> chill out. You're doing too much but everybody's afraid to do that. They get to a point of being fearful of doing that, and then guess what happens? This guy's shot while he's eating outside. Either way, folks, let's get back into this crazy, crazy story of Anthony Spilotro. In January of 1986, a meeting was held between the family's hierarchy. They appointed jo- Joseph Fariola as boss, and his first issue was Spilotro. He was out of control, and he had to be taken down. So a short time later, Spilotro received a call to meet in a basement in Illinois. They went... And under the impression that Michael Spilotro was to become a made man, they entered the basement, and right away Spilotro realized what was happening. He knew there was no way to stop the hit. He only asked to say a prayer before he died. Spilotro and his brother were both shot. Their bodies were taken to the Willow Slough Preserve in Indiana and dumped in a shallow grave, stripped to their underwear. Their bodies were stacked one on top of the other. A final show of disrespect. The killers shoveled five feet of wet earth on top of the Spilocho brothers. When a farmer passed by a few days later, he thought a poacher had buried a dead deer. After being dug up, the only way of identifying the bodies was through dental records. An autopsy revealed that the bodies had been savagely beaten and sand was found in their lungs. This led people to speculate that they were buried alive. No one was arrested until 2005, and no definitive judgment has ever been made to who exactly killed Anthony Spilotro, and his brother. Many people wanted him dead. A list of suspects continued to grow, and at this point, it is almost endless. At the time of the death of Spilotro, he was tied to 22 murders, and countless beatings, thefts, and assorted crimes. In the end, his failure to stay on the right side of his mob bosses resulted in death. Forever known as one of the most violent, most ruthless mobsters of the 20th century, Anthony Spilotro came to a gruesome end. Buried in a ditch in an isolated cornfield, Few could have predicted this kid from Chicago who grew up inside of his parents' restaurant among so many famous mobsters would be killed by those mobsters. Okay, that is uh, the story of Anthony Spilotro and his rise and demise. But if you want to hear more about this guy, see more. Joe Pesci has portrayed him in the film Casino, which is uh, just an amazing film. Definitely worth the watch. The story in itself, you've heard it here, but watching Joe Pesci portray this guy, it's so good. And it definitely shows you the ruthlessness of this character. And it makes it unreal that he even was a guy that actually existed. I mean, to think at 25, he's a made man. His brother ends up being killed in the process where he thought he was going to be a made man. And it seems like him being one of the closest people to Anthony, being that it's his brother, he would know for sure that the mob wasn't happy with what he was doing, right? Or were they keeping the brother in the dark as well? Because they definitely killed both of them. They, I don't know what the actual conversation was to say, hey, come on over. I'm sure they speculated, like we said, that Michael was going to be a made man and instead it didn't work out. And I remember that movie and I remember that scene. I remember... The many scenes where Joe Pesci is beating dudes with bats and just crazy shit. It's a wild movie, and I'll tell you what. I think that's one of the main movies that really put Joe Pesci on the map. And his skills. I mean, come on. If you haven't seen the film, you're out of your mind. But I didn't know for sure that that was... I, I guess I didn't make the connection until I did this episode that that was the guy. I had always been under the assumption... That that movie was based on somebody who existed, but it has been so long since I have watched anything other than The Godfather and The Irishman. <laughs> when it when it you know when it consists of mafia stuff, right? Uh, they're always long movies, so you got to plan your weekend around it. But either way, guys, I hope you're enjoying this new victims cast. I might be putting some things out here on this podcast because, well, some things that isn't just me, it'll be me and a co-host, and instead of me telling the story alone or being specific to one story, we're going to talk about all kinds of crimes, all kinds of conspiracies, and I want to make you guys aware because... If you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, I definitely want you to be able to enjoy me doing the podcast with someone else. And it's similar topics, okay? Minus the fact that we're actually going to ask questions, right? A lot of crimes make you ask questions. And I haven't been doing that when it's just me. So that podcast will be coming, I'll probably put up a sample episode here so you guys can hear kind of what to expect, kind of hear the dynamic and once the, once the thing actually gets started, I'll be sure to let you guys uh, in and be sure that you're able to find it and listen to that as well because your continued support is why the podcast continues to be made, right? Without it, what are we doing? Without you coming and listening, what are we doing? But if you do feel like supporting even more than you already do by playing the podcast, go to patreon.com slash podculture, subscribe for $3, $10 a month, and help this thing continue to be a thing. But I do hope you're enjoying what it is right now and the improvements we have made But until next time, as always, good night.